Amen. I know that some of us needed that prayer. If nobody else, I needed it. Um, and so I am excited about this week, kind of, you know, getting the chance to spend more time with our children. You know, one of the things that all we have is what we have our time, we have our talent, and we have our treasure. We talk about this concept of stewarding and stewardship. We are in our, in our series um, called Rooted. And one of the things that I know about every man, woman, and child is this, is that every man, every woman, and every child um, desires to be affirmed for their accomplishments. Right? We desire to be. But in this tireless like, search for affirmation, in this desire, we often spend our lives chasing this affirmation for our accomplishment. We oftentimes chase and seek after these, uh, the applause of others, the acceptance of others. And oftentimes it is manifested in trying in, in one or two ways. It's either manifested in us trying to make more of ourselves than we know that we really are, or it becomes just like, well, since no one is going to um, see me in hopelessness, we just say we give up altogether and we shrink ourselves in, in our efforts oftentimes and we make ourselves smaller. But this desire manifests itself in the small child after Hello World coming up and doing all their designs and say, Mommy, Mommy, Daddy, look, look at all that I've done. And they give you that sheet of paper and with all their scribbles, and they want you to celebrate them. It's in our spouses who come home after a hard day of work and want to be celebrated. Or it's the one who stays at home wrestling with their children all day who want to be celebrated for the accomplishment, for all the work that they put into the day. You know, and, and it ultimately manifests itself in you and I, in the believer, who at the end of our lives seeks and desires and hopes for to hear those words from our God. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things, and I will put you in charge of many. Share in my rest. Share in the master's joy. You see, our souls are so hungry for affirmation, for the accomplishments of the things that we've done. Like, we literally, when we get it, we literally have life-altering circumstances. I remember the first time that I ever got it. It was in my first football game that I ever played of tackle football, I remember scoring like a few touchdowns, and, and I remember my dad coming to me and said, you have a God-given talent. And it was at that time my life was changed forever for both the good, for the better and for the worse, because at that time I, got, I had a sense of identity. It was the time where I, I gave my life to football because it was in that affirmation and it was in of the work that I'd done that I said, this is how I'm going to make my mark. This is how I'm going to live my life because of being affirmed for the accomplishment, right? You know, when we talk about being affirmed, we're not talking about just simply giving out participation awards. We're not just talking about, because we all recognize and we all know that it's not just about going and to say that you are out there. And, it's just, and we all recognize and we all know that it's not enough to say, you know, you could have been anywhere, but I'm glad that you came here. You could have, you could have not done this, but I'm glad that you like this participating. That's, we know that that's not what it's about solely. Right? Because we recognize that a true accomplishment really comes in these three, in three, one of three areas. One, it's, it's a recognition of our limitations. It's the recognizing that, one, we, we're all in and we've tried our best, but we're limited and we've tried hard, but 
We may or may not have succeeded. It's a recognition of our limitations, but it's a celebrating of the results of our work. It's the celebrating of having given ourselves fully to something. They're saying that I'm all in and I've tried my best and I gave it all. And whether the, regardless of the results, that you saw me and I can celebrate it. But, and, and it's also the rest that comes. You know that oftentimes when they come and say, mom, mom, dad, look, look at look what I've done. That as soon as you affirm them, they, they can rest. And guess what happens? As soon as they rest, they're on to the next. Right? Because it's, we, we desire to be affirmed for our accomplishments. And those things, and that affirmation oftentimes is life-changing. This is what we wanted from the beginning. Some of us, even to this day, is still waiting for our dad, for our mom, for that loved one, for that person that we respect to say, well done. I'm proud of you. You did a good job. And the sad reality is, is that many of us are going to die never having that. He said, but what's so beautiful about the Bible, what's so beautiful about our God is that he ultimately gives that to his children. That in the core of the gospel, we see before Jesus ever did anything, he says, this is my son, and I'm well pleased. I'm well pleased. You see, but there's a problem because when we think about our time, our talent, our treasure, when we think about how we steward our lives for the glory of God, the one of the realities that you and I face is that it's our own limitations, our own capacity. We all have a whiteboard. We all have our, our boards. Some of our whiteboards are smaller and some of our bigger, but all of us have a stewardship of our lives, of, of how much God's time that he gives us, how much God's talent that he gives us, or how much God's treasure that he gives us. But no matter how much you get, God calls that little. He calls it little. And, but he calls us to be faithful over the little so that he can then give us much. But as we embrace our capacity and as we recognize that we don't have enough time, that we don't have enough talent to do the things that we want to do, that we don't have enough of the treasure that we want to do, we, we end up creating smoke screens and camouflages that comes. And so what we become is that we become generous in theory, right? There was a missionary, the, the story of a missionary who um, was talking to one of the new converts and they asked this convert, he said, this, these hypothetical questions. He says, hey, if you had 100 sheep, would you give 50 of them to the Lord's work? He answered, you know I would gladly give them. He then asks this new convert, he says, if you had 50 cows, would you give 25 of them to the Lord's work? He says, yes, you know I would do that more than happy than to do it all. Again, the missionary asks, he says, Pablo, if you have two pigs, would you give one of them to would you give one of them to the Lord's work? He responded, That's not fair. You know I have two pigs. You see, we become generous in theory. We become generous when we make it and when we have, but it's never in the present. Many people are extremely generous in theory, but they're not generous in practice. 
We all have that if we had a million dollars, would we give half of it away? We would all possibly say yes. But the reality is, is that instead of being living lives of generous, our lives become very, our generosity becomes very minimal, very minimal. And when it comes to our giving our time, talent, and treasure, specifically, this is, this is another illustration about our money and how we give our money. He says, if money could talk, if money could talk, where would it say it has been? A $1 bill met a $50 bill and said, hey, haven't seen you around here much. Where have you been? The $50 bill answered, oh, I spent some time around the malls and eating at the restaurants, and then I went on vacation and bought some lasting souvenirs. Since I've been back, uh, I went to a couple of pro football games, went to the movies, to the beauty salon, you know, that kind of stuff. Where have you been? He asked the $1 bill. The $1 bill said, you know, the same old place, church, church, and church. One day, our money is going to talk, and it's going to give us an account of what we've done. Because the Bible is true. The Bible says is where your treasure is, there your heart also follows. This is not going to be a message about guilt when it comes to stewarding your time, talent, and treasure, because guilt is not the primary motivator. And in, in, in when it comes to a relationship with God, this is not about trying to induce shame, toxic shame on you, right? Because we recognize that you are limited. This is about us understanding that God has given us our time, our talent, and our treasures. And the question becomes is how has God called us to cultivate generosity in our hearts to look like God? So what we're talking about today is about cultivating generosity. Because the reality is, is that how you view and manage your time, your talent, your treasure, whatever your wealth is, is the best indicator of your spiritual health. Because stewardship is not a subcategory of the Christian life. Stewardship is the Christian life. How you manage your time, your talent, and treasure is how you're stewarding God's resources for his glory. You see, I, I know what it's like, and I know how hard it is for us to be stewards, especially when it comes to all of what God is doing in our lives. I remember I was at, in seminary, and in seminary, um, you know, there was a thing called chapel, and we went to chapel on a consistent basis, and every single week at chapel, there would be a different person coming in, and every time that person would come in, they would talk about God, and it was just like, you know, God is all about the widows and the orphans, and he talks about all the scripture about God and the widow and the orphans, and then he would end the message, sort of like, it's like, if your heart is not for the widows and the orphans, and your heart is not where God's heart is, and I'm like, man, I got to be about the widows and the orphans, and so you go out and you try to be about the widows and the orphans, but then the next day, it's like, our God is a missionary God, and it's for the nations, and he talks about how our God God, you know, if we're not serving the nations and going out, then your heart is not where God's heart is. He's like, oh, I got to be about the nations. But then the next day it would come, it's like, oh, our God is all about family. And if, you know, and they talk about all the Bible says about family. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I got to be all about the family. And then after so long, you know, I, you know, I was a football player, so I'm a little slow. I remember going in and I remember saying, it's like, oh my gosh, I can't do all these things. 
And then there was two realities that came to me when it came to about Stuart in my life. The first thing was the capacity of my life or of my heart is not as big as the capacity of God's heart. God is for all of those things. And the reality was is that I had to recognize and embrace that my capacity, that I need to understand where I play my part in filling God's larger story. You see, and so what it's about is is how do I steward my time, my talent, my treasures, ultimately to do my part in stewarding God's glory. And what he did, he did not leave us alone to answer this problem. God gave us the ability to be able to navigate what it looks like for us to live in a way that honors him, to steward our lives in a way that will end with well done, good and faithful servant. We've already read the scriptures, but we're at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In the first seven verses, what we want you to see is this. We want you to recognize, we want you that Paul, as he's talking to the church in Corinth, right? That a highly affluent church, an educated church, a church that had many division, a church that was wrestling with a lot of things that in the first book in, in, um, in 1 Corinthians, he addressed some of the tension, some of the issues that were going on. And he, and he addressed a few, a series of things, of, of multiple things in there. And he's constantly calling people back to remember the grace of God. In his second book, after they kind of, they responded to his challenges, that in 2 Corinthians, he goes, and then in verse 8, He wants them to remind them, or chapter 8, he wants to remind them of a few things. And the first thing that he wants us to remind them when it comes to this idea of stewardship is this. He wants us to remember that God's grace is at work. When it comes to stewarding our lives, we got to first understand that it's not my time, my talent, my treasure, but it is God's time, God's talent, and God's treasure. And then God is doing something supernaturally, and he is calling you and I to join him where he is at work. That if you were to look at verses 1, he talks about this. He said, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about what? The grace of God that was given to the churches of Macedonia. And he gives them this example about the church of Macedonia who were struggling. And even though that they were struggling, they were eagerly anticipating how to get into the game, how to steward the very little that they had and give it to the saints that were suffering in Jerusalem. And, that, and as he wrestled with that, he was like, God was at work. And so then later on, he says, listen, so we thought, man, God is doing something supernaturally here. I didn't want to leave anybody else in the body of Christ. So we sent, he says that he sent um, Titus to you, the church in Corinth, which was a fluent church, which was a well-to-do church. He says, we sent them to you so that you can join in the work of grace that God is doing. So in chapter 1, we, uh, verse 1, he says, the grace of God was given to the church of Macedonia. And in verse 7 of chapter 8, verse 1 says this, now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, knowledge, and in all diligence, in all, in your love for us, excel also in this act of grace. You see, Paul reminds the Corinthian church that God's grace is active. 
When we recognize the definition of God's grace, right, we talk about it, whether it's in the acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense, or when we just say that what is the grace of God? It is both unmerited favor, but it is also divine enablement. It is the very thing that motivates us. It's the fuel in which the believer carries on that by the Spirit of God and the grace of God, that, that even though we don't do things right or perfectly, it enables us to press forward. And so what Paul does is that he gives us this first example about the church in Macedonia and that even in the midst of affliction, God's grace is at work, right? And he reminds them of that. You see, and as he bookends it in verse 1 and verse 7, talking about the grace of God, the unmerited favor of God, and the divine enablement of God, he recognizes and wants to empower us not for the church in Corinth to give by guilt or to give because of their shame, but give based upon grace. Grace is the motivator. And this is what we talk about when we talk about stewarding our time, our talent, and our treasure. It's about grace-based stewardship. Grace-based Stewardship. It's not one of the law. You see, our stewardship is done out of a response to God's grace. We don't do this to earn God's love. We do this out of a response of God's love. There's no coincidence that the fact that when we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 16, where he's referring to the grace of God or the stewardship of God's resources, that it is right after the bold declaration of the gospel. In chapter 15, that he allows us to know that this is about, this is an outworking, that if you believe truly that you've been great, that you've, that you've received the gifts of God, it's by the grace of God that we recognize. That grace in chapters 8 and chapter 9, we won't read it, is mentioned so many times that it's that just simply in the first nine verses we see grace. Ten times in chapters 8 and chapter 9, we see this. What God is trying to say is that when we are talking about stewardship, be motivated by grace, not by guilt, right? See, the reality is, is that oftentimes we put on what we call the hard hat identity. I've got an image up here to kind of show you. And we, we do this and we recognize most of the time when we think about our Christian life, we all recognize that we get saved by grace. But the problem is, is that we try to keep it by the law. Right? So what we say is it's like, now that I'm saved by the, by the grace of God, I got to be obedient enough. And then if I'm obedient enough, then I'll sacrifice um, for God. I'll stop. I'll give up. I'll do. I'll, you know, and then if I sacrifice enough, then I'll earn God's love. Right? But and then if I earn God's love, then he'll show up and he'll be present with me. And then if he's present with me, I know he loves me. And then I can then show, give him my needs. But the problem is that we recognize, and if we're honest with ourselves, we're never obedient enough and we're never sacrificed enough. And so this love, he loves me, he loves me not mentality oftentimes leads us into performance and fatigue. And then we say, forget it, I'm giving up. I'm tired because I'm never going to hear well done with this methodology. So then, but the Bible tells us that we're not supposed to put on the hard hat identity. We're actually supposed to put on the gospel-centered identity. But the gospel-centered identity takes it and he reverses it and flips it over. And he says that instead of coming in with the obedience, come with them to need. Newborn babes, the only thing that they bring is neediness. And what do the newborn babes do with their neediness? They cry. That's all they know to do. They can't pay the bills. They can't help you out. They can't do anything besides do with, with their needs. So they cry out. And every single time they cry out, what happens? 
mom and dad shows up with presents. Not based upon anything that they've done, but just because of their love. And in fact, what they do is they root it in love. And now as we grow up, and as we grow up and become mature people, we then live sacrificing for those that loved us, and we're now obedient. When I go, when I go, when I used to go home as an adult to my parents' house, I didn't have rules and laws that had to do, but it didn't make me disrespect my children or to my, my parents. No, because I had a new set of laws that I was governed. I was governed by the law of love. This is what Paul said, like, I am compelled by the love of God, by the grace of God, that that becomes the engine, the motivator, that we don't do the things, we don't steward our lives for the sake of earning God's favor. We steward our lives because we have been favored by God. It's grace. And so Paul says, I want to give you the example. Remember the grace of God. It is at work in your life. It is at work in everyone's life. So steward, so steward your time, your talent, and your treasures for his glory. But he doesn't leave us there and just telling us in general just so it's, it's grace-based. He also gives us some disciplines to help us cultivate what that does. He says, in, um, so the second point is steward God's resources with generosity. In verses 8 through 10, he says this. He says, I am not saying this as a command, rather by means of diligence of others. I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, for your sake he became. He disciplined himself. He became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich you might become rich. You see, one of the things that we recognize that when we come to stewardship is that God owns everything and we are what the Bible calls stewards. Stewards is just an old school word for simply managers. We are God's managers. God gives us what we are to manage. That And we are to remind ourselves through disciplines that we are managers of this. And so this is the reason why in the scriptures, in historically the church, we give a few things to God in the ways that we do give to God. So really what I want to do is I want to give you quickly six disciplines. Six disciplines of stewarding generosity in your life. And we, we, we see it here, but I'm going to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, um, the other time that Paul was talking to them about, because he gives us some specific disciplines about what it, makes, what it means to steward. The first one is this, make giving a priority. And, and I'm going to talk about giving and things of that nature, but when I say it, I'm not just talking about money. I, it's no less than money, but I'm not just talking about money. When I'm talking about giving, I'm talking about giving your time, your talent, and your treasure. And by the way, in all respects, giving your time, talent, and treasure is down in the church across the board. Surveys tells us when it comes to giving our talent, right? There are more and more pastors. 38% of pastors are no longer. They're finding other careers. When it comes to giving volunteerism, we're seeing more and less and less people volunteering. We see that happening here at our church. When we talk about giving our time, they said across the board, the church is giving out. They actually have the comparison. They said by percentage, people gave more during the Great Depression than people give right now. And the other stat was is that as your income goes up, your percentage of giving actually goes down. They said the average American gives 2.5% of their income, right? 
And so part of what Paul is saying is that we got to recognize that we have to make giving a priority. Chapter 16, verse 1, it says this. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 says, Now, about the collection for the saints, do the same as I have instructed the Galatian churches. On the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and to save in keeping with how he is prospering, so that no collections will be made when I come. When I arrive, I will send with letters those who you recommend to carry the gift to Jerusalem. If it is suitable for me to go as well, they will travel with me. So in here, Paul gives these six principles that we're going to see here between here and the other verse in chapter, um, chapter uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 8 is the first thing that we see is this. He says, when it talks about the collection of the saints, right? So he's talking specifically about money, but this can be applied across, not just about money. And we're going to see that later in, in my example. This is the, the first thing is this, make giving a priority. When we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, one is that we got to recognize that everyone is called to bring their first fruits. Right? So this is a call to everyone, because I love it when it says, in verse 2, it says, on the first day of the week, each of you. So let's just understand, I know you're a college student, but you still are responsible to give. I know you're, you're on hard times, but you're still responsible to give. He says, let each of you. That's just like he, so he sets that bar for everyone. Each of you has a responsibility. But then he also says, on the first day. You see, what this is, is a principle that in the Bible it talks about. It's the principle of first fruits. And what is the principle of first fruits? That it, that it is a, it's a, it's, it's a concept that God uses like every time you approach him, that you approach him with offering in his hand. Proverbs 3, 9 says this, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Right? That this first fruits that we see all throughout the Old Testament, it's that we see is that he's called us to, um, in Exodus chapter 23, to come not to go to him empty-handed, but every time we come to him, we come ready to offer something to him. That he talks about in Leviticus 19, that we'll give the first fruit of our produce from the vineyard. That he talks about giving the first produce of our grain, our wine, our olive oil, our wool in Exodus 23. He talks about of even our, of any coarse meal in Numbers chapter 15. Over and over and over again, we see this example of giving up our, for, of our first fruits. It is important that we do this in our modern day. The reason why we gather on Sunday is not because Sunday is some magical day. The reason why historically Christians gather on Sunday because it is a first fruit offering. That on Sunday we ought to remind ourselves, not that we're good with God, but to remind ourselves that this week is for God. And let me give my first fruits to him, the first of my week, to remind me. The reason why we, give, we wake up and give quiet times, it's not that we're good with God, that I got my quiet time in the morning, it's to remind ourselves that this whole day is God's. The reason why we give the first fruits of our offering, it's not that we're good with God by just giving him off the top, it's to remind ourselves that all of this is God's. That we give our first fruits, we give them high priority to remind ourselves, right? So we give our first and our best to God because we recognize all good things come from him. So it's a reminder 
to ourselves. So we talked about giving of our first food. The second thing is that, you know, give purposefully. He tells us on the first day of the week, on the first day of the week, each of you. So the question becomes is that if we remember that God is at work, we ought to partner where he is at work. And so you might ask the question, where do we partner? In this passage and in the other passage, we see that, we are, that they are partnering with those that they are in communion or fellowship with. And so there's really three things that I want you to think about. Like if you're like, okay, I want to give, where do I give to? There's a, a few things that we talk about when you can give. Um, you can give. Number one, give. First, pray. Prayerfully consider. Number two, proximity, Right? And then the third one is partnership, prayer, proximity, and partnership. As you think about who are you partnering with to further God's glory, who are you, um, who are, like, and how are you praying, how are you getting discernment and wisdom to do that? Who are you in proximity with, right? You see, because here's the, real, here's the truth. A problem is not a real problem until it's your problem. Something becomes your problem through prayer, proximity, and partnership. Right. I live here in the fourth ward, and when stuff happens here in the fourth ward or shootings happen in the fourth ward or things happen, it's a problem because I live in the fourth ward. There's shootings and happening happen all the time. But because I'm in the fourth ward, it becomes my problem, right, because of proximity. Or a problem, something may not bother me, but if it bothers my wife, guess what? It now bothers me. Why? Because of relationship. It doesn't bother me, but it bothers her. So now it bothers me because it bothers her, right? And so we recognize that it's through prayer, through partnership, through proximity, that problems become a real problem. So give purposefully. Where is God at work in your relationships, in that, in your partnership of the gospel? But then the third thing is, is that we give sacrificially. Where he goes on, and he says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to set something aside and save in keeping with how he is prospering. This is the reason why, Blueprint, we are not a church that will talk about tithe. One is because we believe that tithe is the, is the, um, the training wheels to giving. It's the training wheels. It's the Old Testament law and how we are to give. And the misconception, even in the Old Testament, is that there was only one tithe. If you actually do a survey of the Old Testament, there was actually three tithes. So if you want to be literal about the Old Testament, you're actually going to give 30% of your wealth because there were three different types of tithes in the Old Testament, right? You know, and if you want to fact check me, Leviticus chapter 27, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 14, all are different tithes that they give. And so what, what but the New Testament, and then, and then they also, just to let you know, then there was another gift that was called the Thanksgiving offer, Leviticus 27. So on top of your three tithes, then you also had a Thanksgiving offering that was above and beyond. And so we recognize, and so right here, he says, listen, set something aside in keeping with your prosperity. See, a lot of times we spend a lot of times talking about privilege. The problem is not privilege. The problem is stewardship. How are you stewarding your privilege for God's glory? Wherever you are, Jesus was the most privileged person to ever live. He had the fullness of God dwell in him, but he stewarded not for his benefit, but for ours. 
Privilege is not the problem. Stewardship is. How are we stewarding our time, our talent, and our treasure? Right? And so we recognize that it is. And so the command here is to give as the Lord has prospered you. But he says give sacrificially. It's not just giving where it doesn't hurt. Give it where it does hurt. And give it in a way that honors him. That says that I'm not depending on myself and my own ability. I'm depending on God who gives. I remember our kids oftentimes would just be so free with just giving money to people. They're like one day I was like gave their bike away. It's just like it was just like whoa, hold on. But I remember one time one of them said to me, "It's like yeah, you can just buy me another one." <laughs> and we laugh, but you see, but that's the posture that children who believe in their parents make. You see, oftentimes, when we don't give sacrificially, what it is saying is that we don't truly believe that God is able to provide, right? And that we're not able. And so that if I give this, I may miss out on something. But the Bible tells us to give not only by your means, but give above and beyond your means. That giving your 10 is just the training wheel. The Bible tells us to grow in grace. Angie and I have made a commitment for every year that we're married is that we want to give that percentage of our income for every year that we're married. That we want to continue to grow and continue to trust God in that. But not only do we do that, number four is we want to give consistently. Give consistently. Again, it says on the first day of every week. On the first day of every week. You see, oftentimes the question is about whether or not you would give the shirt off your back if somebody was really in need. And most of us, because we're human, we would say, yes, we would give off the shirt off our back. See, but the problem with that reality is, is that oftentimes there's always so much need around us, there's never a criteria enough to give our shirt off our backs, right? Unless it's like so, so clear. And so this is the reason why we are to consistently give. We are to treat stewardship as a discipline. And that's why it's one of the disciplines that we have is that we need to discipline our time, our talent, and our treasure. We are to give of our first fruits. We are to make it a priority. We are to do it consistently. We are to cultivate this as a discipline so that when the time comes, we won't be caught off guard. And so for us, we literally put away for a blessing fund. That we're constantly in disciplining and gifting, um, disciplining ourselves. So when that time comes, because we know that it is, that we're ready to give. Right? So with the consistency that we need to give. You see, one of the things that we got to understand is that your biology, your mind, the human brain, automatically it goes into self-preservation mode. And your natural body, and your natural mind is telling you to save and to conserve. And that's why your body all throughout, that's why when you're talking about what's exercising or any of those things, it's trying to like, I'm trying to save, save, because I may need it later. I may need it later. I mean, and this is a natural thing. And so the reason why we discipline ourselves, because it's the very thing is that God tells us that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And so we discipline ourselves into service, into looking outwardly. And so this is the reason why we create disciplines. We're not just waiting for God to bring stuff to our attention. We discipline ourselves so that we can look out and meet the needs of others. 
that God demonstrated his love towards us while we were still in our mess, while we were still enemies, before we even asked him, he sought after us. Too many of us are waiting for someone to ask us. But God is calling us to discipline ourselves, to give of our time, to give of our talent, and to give of our treasures. The fifth one is this, that we need to give cheerfully. The point, um, and in this, basically, I want to jump back um, to 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, verses 9 through, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8 says this. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The person who sows generously would also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or of under compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. He's been talking about money the whole time, but right here, he says, if we understand that how we make our financial, our health, the, you know, how we manage our God's wealth is the greatest indicator of our spiritual health, we see that, it, that our money is an indicator of how and what we think about God in all of our work. And so he says, I want you to do this, number five, cheerfully. I want you to do this with cheerfully, not under compulsion, not reluctantly, not out of guilt. But if you have a problem with giving, there's something going on inside. And there's a, there's a misconception. He says, no, like, get that right in your heart. Understand the grace of God, right? And allow that to live out, manifest itself in a cheerful heart. See, part of giving generously is about cultivating generosity, and it's important. And that's the only way we get out of the hard hat identity trap, thinking that we have to give in order to earn God's favor. We're not giving to earn God's favor. We are giving because he has favored us. And we serve a God who is able to give back of anything. He's able to replenish whatever we have. And then we are able to avoid both the performance trap of self-preservation or the self-preservation trap. Right? And we recognize that we are to be stewards of what God gives us, which leads us to our last point, that we need to give worshipfully. We need to give worshipfully. Right? And what I love about this is that when we, we see this principle of storehouse giving, and all throughout the scriptures, all the way from the Old Testament, you see over and over again, because some of us, when we talk about like, and I was talking about the church and giving, and we, we have all the reasons, and we says, well, I don't give to the church, but I give other places. I support missionaries. I do other things. I like, and it's like, I give other places. You see, but there's a principle in here that giving is an act of worship and showing empty-handed and giving predominantly to to the church, um, all the way from the Old Testament, when God divided up the 12 tribes of Israel, do you recognize that the one tribe he said, I don't want you to go and work, was the tribe of Levite? The Levites was basically, they were not supposed to work. They were supposed to live off the generous donation of the work of the 11 tribes. And those 11 tribes were to give back to the one tribe so that the Levites can focus in on preparing a place so that the other 11 tribes can come and worship God in a way to give back to God. And that's why all throughout the Old Testament, do you know that in the sacrifices that the priest actually ate the meat of the sacrifice? That was, they were allowed to eat of that meat. That was the bread 
That was the food that, they, that sustained them. And so what happened is as soon as the other 11 tribes stopped valuing God's work or the worship of God, they stopped giving to the church or they started giving them the blind. Malachi chapter 3 says, you're giving me your blind and your lame. I don't want your blind and your lame. I'd rather you shut down the church. And then what does he say in Malachi chapter 3? Every, every person that's been in the church knows this. Can a man rob God? You've heard that before. But if you understand the context in that, what it is, it's a plea for God saying, hey, listen, come back and worship me. Return to me so that I can return to you so that, I, so that we can be in relationship and in worship together. That you give of your first fruit. You give of your best because you're saying, God, you are worth it. Worship. You are giving of him. You're worthy of it all. It's the songs that we sing. And so we give. And he says, and in doing so, we worship. And so we give that. So we see this storehouse principle of give your giving to the local. Giving to the people so that you can be equipped for every good work. And so we see this principle, I can show you over and over, Malachi chapter 310, 1 Timothy chapter 517, we even see it in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it talks about giving to the leadership. Paul says when you collect it, like I'm coming to get it, so I'm not selling you to put aside so that you can give it away to anybody, put it aside so I can come and collect it, because we have a specific purpose for that. And so the storehouse, so the storehouse mentality declares a worship for Yahweh, for God, that we give, that we're trusting in him. You know, and so we see this reality that we have, that it's worship to God, that it's a place that we give. It's a trust that we have in the Lord, in his leadership that we give to him. And if there's corruption with the leadership, let God deal with that corruption. He has a way of killing folks, removing people. He says, don't let all of you become teachers. You will incur stricter judgment. You will be held accountable. And so as elders and as leaders, we recognize there is an accountability to steward God's resources for his glory. And that we will be held accountable. And so you become obedient by giving in the way God called us to give. And that's of our time, our talent, and our treasure. And, if, and I'm not saying this as honestly as I, as I possibly can. If you don't trust the leadership of wherever you are, then that, that is a very core problem that needs to be addressed. And I know that this is a, totally opposed to the anti-institution framework that we have right now. That all you need is God. No, God has established his church. God has established this. And we recognize that. So we understand these disciplines help us to cultivate this reality. And, and in that, we simply rest. Knowing if we cultivate those six things, we rest in the stewardship of our salvation. You see what I love about the scriptures is that salvation has a way of changing our orientation to stewardship. When we get saved, we don't try to earn God's love because of our, um, because of our stewardship. We steward 
because of God's love. And if you don't hear anything else, hear that this that rest in the stewardship. If you cultivate the disciplines, then your response and your giving is of your time, your talent, and treasure is simply a stewardship of your salvation, and now you're able to rest, rest in that. Successful stewardship isn't estimated by the quantity of your gift, but it's by the quality of your sacrifice. It's a heart issue. Are we giving God our leftovers when it comes to our time, our talent, and our treasures? What are we doing to cultivate a heart that pursues God above all else, right? Stewardship is not a subcategory of the Christian life. Stewardship is the Christian life. How you steward your time, your talent, and treasure is your offering to God. And my question is, is what kind of offering are we giving them individually and collectively? What does the offering look like? Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for the grace that you've given us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we don't do this perfectly. Nobody does. And this is why we look to you, to our Lord Jesus. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.